conscious sedation with your three favorite nurses in the world. We're here for shift number 11. So this is Tiffany. What up? This is Tasha. And of course, no one records without <laughs> yours truly. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Always swoop through and shoot down the foolishness. Okay. All right. This is Queen Ryan. Queen Ryan. Yes. And we are back. (laughs) Shift number 11. Today we're going to be talking about mental health. So we will jump right into it and talk about our hashtags from our last shift. Um, If you guys haven't listened, go ahead and check it out now. We're available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Podcast Addict, and Stitcher under Conscious Sedation Podcast. Who wants to start with the hashtags first? We'll let Ryan go first. I mean, I'm always looking at y'all because y'all fight over so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My hashtag from last shift is um, hashtag you don't gotta be broke. Uh, when we were talking about how you need to have multiple streams of income and just being really creative about how to make money in your sleep and generating income. So not, in addition to saving, we need to be having multiple streams of income. So, Right, right. Um, okay, so in true Tasha fashion, I have multiple hashtags. Okay, no, okay. let's look at Person because I'm sure one of your multiples is one of mine. Then so gone and go. Start then then gone and go. See, how you got multiple? Hey, world, I listen just, to how I roll the red carpet out. Like, hey, everybody else go first, and then boom, you know what? Let me step in front of you. I'm gonna go first because I'll be stealing, supposedly. I, didn't know I just don't, I cannot understand how you continue week after week <laughs> to have multiple hashtags and multiple mindful moments that you really were not having it when I tried to do it. People change, okay? People People change. And if there are multiple moments that resonate with me, then I cannot hold back the greatness that I experience when I listen to us coming through the airwaves, okay? It doesn't matter how many times the resonation is that a word? It's still the same. So yeah. So you know, okay. Tiff, go ahead, go ahead. You first. on it. I mean, how many do you have? Let's like limit it. We gotta cap it though. We'll find out once we get to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, won't we? Actually, really. Okay. Well, my hashtag from last time was at the very beginning of the episode of hashtag range. I don't know who has started with that super bass in their voice. <laughs> oh, that was me. <laughs> That was me. I always think we sound so different once you play it back, but that was that was some true bass. <laughs> My 808 was busting last time. Go oh. <laughs> ahead with your Right, and so this just goes to show you guys that there's plenty for everyone, and my hashtags are oh. hashtag shmoney. <laughs> <laughs> And that came from Ryan when Tiff was talking about stripper land and our sister <laughs> profession. And Ryan went right into stripper mode and was like, give me shmoney. Give me shmoney. 
Um, also, I have no excuses. Basically, talking to um, other people about getting your finances in order. Ryan, pretty much uh, talking about what you were speaking on just now, too, saying you don't have any excuse. You know, there's ways to get your savings life in order, your um, earning life in order, and your finances in order. And so, there are no excuses. Um, do what you got to do. And then my last hashtag is, oh, wow. oh, is wow. purse, wow. prescription. Now, see, y'all know, y'all know that was a good one. And I don't know how y'all didn't even come up with it, but prescription, especially so fitting since we were talking about financial wellness. I truly enjoyed that one. So that wraps up my hashtags. <laughs> is there any time left for the rest of the podcast? <laughs> Pretty much uh, hashtag resistance right there. Like, she's not going to do it. <laughs> right. Okay. Hashtag, resistance. you tried it. <laughs> she's not. She going to have three hashtags from here on out and seven <laughs> mindful moments. Just seen like us. <laughs> I only have one mindful moment today. Thank you very much. Ooh. Blessing. <laughs> It's like we might as well not even do one, Tiffany, because exactly. she already done got them all. She took them all. I'm not going right, to continue to take this abuse, though. Moments. You said, what? Well, who wants to kick off my kick off moments? Yes. I'm going first since y'all done bullied me. My mindful moment is um, currently I am very grateful and mindful of technology and the fact that we are recording this remotely because our schedules can be very demanding and we are three very busy young women and we are now recording through Skype and the use of our microphone. So hey to technology, thank you. I'm mindful of that. Next. <laughs> am mindful of my village today. I um, am just completely um, mindful of the village. I, you know, am a person who is very, very independent and a person who is very closed. Um, and sometimes life has a way of forcing you to open up and receive the help of others or from others. And my village is lit. Like, I mean, you know, sometimes you feel like you walk in a lonely road through life, but all along the sidelines, like, are your village. It's like you're running a marathon, and you've you got a cheering section, like, all along the path of the marathon. And I just am mindful of the village, those, of, those who have their, you know, hands on me all the time, and those who are kind of watching from afar. Um, and I'm just mindful of that. I don't take it for granted, because there's so many people who actually do you know, walk this life alone, whether they burn their bridges with their family and friends or whether they just, you know, by happenstance, the way life turned out for them, just don't have anybody. But I do not take it for granted. So shout out to my village. Y'all live? Oh, yay. Hashtag village. Uh, <laughs> village. Yeah, I'm mindful of the village. So my mindful moment this week just has to do with, um, Sometimes you just have to start over your goals and stuff again. 
Um, I've been having a super rough time transitioning back into school life. Mm-hmm. And so everything else is just kind of getting pushed to the side. But I mean, and it goes with anything in life. Sometimes you have good intentions and you think you're going to be some like type of super wonder woman type person that just gets everything done all the time. And <laughs> then when you fail, you're kind of like mad at yourself. Um, but this, this week kind of just showed me that you need to give yourself an opportunity to kind of just regroup and start stuff over again. Nobody, usually most of the time your, um, critiques of yourself are harder than anybody else. (laughs) And so you just have to give yourself kind of that grace period to make mistakes and kind of improve and be better. So just being mindful of giving myself opportunities to improve and to do better. So that is a not mindful moment. Good. Word. That's a good one. Word. Next, Word. we've got the inbox report. And our question this week. Um, so it says you have all done 10 podcasts so far. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about what you have accomplished? Um, Ryan, you can go? take it. Okay, so I am um, completely amazed every single time we sit down to do this um, because who knew? You know, like, you know, we talked um, before about how, you know, ignorant Tasha and I are. (laughs) And we would be like, oh, my God, we need our own show. Like, but I wasn't thinking podcast. I was thinking, like, you know, real nurses of, like, you know. (laughs) Okay. Bravo. I was thinking more like a Bravo. Um. Made in Georgia. No. Real Wow. Wow. You know, but Tasha clearly was thinking with a more level head. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about the podcast. Love and stethoscopes. Love and stethoscopes. Oh, yes. I love it. I, that is a t-shirt. <laughs> Hashtag love and stethoscopes. Hashtag yes. love and I'll be working on that design this week, FYI. What? Mm-hmm. That's a t-shirt. Are mm-hmm. you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that. Like, if you can design some, hit us up so we can get it on a shirt. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I don't even know if I can finish my thought now. Like, I'm on the cloud from that. <laughs> no, but so I really am just in awe that we are able to, like, you know, we just talked about how busy we are um, with all of our personal lives. I know that we're all full just in our own personal life and, like, the fact that we are, um, (laughs) you know, consciously, consciously, ha-ha, no pun intended. (laughs) We are consciously, uh-oh, we're consciously making an effort to record um, and we get it done and we figure out ways we're, you know, plan toying with, you know, recording with via video chat. And so I'm really impressed. Like, I think we have a really good following. People are starting to be much more vocal and interactive on social media. And, um, again, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, the future. I know that we're going nowhere but up. So. Indeed. <clears throat> I'm super excited too um, about having recorded 10 podcasts thus far. Ryan, you said this before, I think at maybe our fifth, that many people didn't make it this far. Yeah. Um, 
So I'm super excited. I can't help but look at other people's podcast pages and their followings and their views and things like that and compare, which I am trying to um, get out of the habit or get away from doing that because then I end up creating this picture in my mind about what hours should have done or what hours should have had by this point. But I'm super excited about um, the prospect and hopefully being here at recording 100, you know, from now. Um, Like Ryan said, our following is picking up and people are getting more interactive. And knowing and seeing that we have something not only just to offer, but that people are enjoying, are consuming, um, it just it kind of solidifies that we're in the right place at the right time. So I look forward to what's to come for us. And I know that it's only going to be great. I mean, just even from this moment, love and stethoscopes and our design (laughs) that's coming from that. (laughs) Um, I literally cannot wait to see um, what's in store for us. This has been very therapeutic for me. And like I said this in one of our earlier episodes, it's like my baby. So I pour a lot of myself into the podcast, and I think a lot about it all the time. So I'm just grateful that I have two great co-hosts with me, and we're all just, you know, arm-linked and elbow-locked and all of that in this journey together. So, yeah, feels good. All right, so everybody said all the stuff that I was going to say. Yeah, Ryan said. Right. Y'all weren't ready. Y'all, y'all weren't ready for my vocals. I wasn't. I, I wasn't. <laughs> Mm-mm. I'm just gonna be transparent. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. But it was. It was good. It was a good vocal. Tiff, what you think? Um, I am definitely like you guys are saying. I'm definitely impressed with us and how we have been able to do like the ten shifts. I'm definitely excited about the things that we have up our sleeves coming up in the future. Um. I think we have, like, a really creative and innovative group. And, like you see, we come up with ideas on the fly that are good ideas. So I know we have a lot of good stuff for us ahead in the future. So, everyone, keep your eyes open and your ears open for us. But, um, if any, huh? I was going to say, and like us, share us, rate us, review yeah, us. Yeah, right. Like, I was going to say, if you have any input or comments or anything, don't hesitate to email us. Our email is getsedated705 at gmail.com. If you have not already, and I don't know why you wouldn't have, but you need to follow us and like us and subscribe to our podcast. Um, you can find us on Facebook once again and Twitter. Facebook and Twitter are the same, so it's Get Sedated705. And um, Instagram is different. It is conscious underscore sedation. And um, now we'll kind of roll into our topic for today. Um, May, so last month, a couple days ago, (laughs) was Mm -hmm. uh, Mental Health Kind of Awareness Month. So this uh, shift, we wanted to kind of bring some awareness to mental health issues and um, kind of highlight some things within our community and some education. Um, Does anybody have a topic or kind of part where they want to start out with first? Um, I think it's important to define mental health and actually talk about what that is 
um, and why it's so taboo, especially in the black community. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Does anybody want to take that first? I mean, I didn't necessarily have to go first, but okay. <laughs> I was answering your question, too. Oh, I thought she was ready with the definition to roll off. <laughs> Um, I can definitely give my opinion. I think mental health, for whatever reason, has been put into a separate category that doesn't involve our um, actual physical health when it's all connected. And we're all connected, obviously, but still someplace in um, our society, the two have been separated and one's on the left and the other's on the right. So mental health, just in a nutshell, would involve all of your well-being, so your stress levels, um, thought patterns, um, things that you do to take care of yourself mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, it's all-encompassing. So um, mental health is a, a really broad, broad topic that is ignored for whatever reason. I have no idea, that, and there are so many stigmas attached to it, especially in the black community. We have a problem discussing um, the things that are going on inside of our heads. So anybody else could give their definition, but that's what that means to me. I agree with you um, in that, you know, we, we all, I've already mentioned the fact that I love, you know, holistic wellness. And I think that you're right when you say that people forget about the head. You know, like you even talked about how people will go get their oil changed or they'll go and do all these other like routine maintenance sorts of things. But we always forget about the head and we forget about the head um, in terms of being like assessed and um, freeing that space from all of the stress and just daily things that, you know, can fill up in our minds. But also um, there's a lot of shame um, and stigma attached to mental illness and so you know we talk about mental health but there's a lot of stigma to the point where people are ashamed to even admit to themselves and certainly ashamed to admit to their families when they feel like something could be um off or or going wrong and um i think that it's very true that it's we live in a society that has placed those kind of stigmas upon it but i think it's even worse within the black community i mean it's it's so much worse, you know, we're so quick to tell people, oh, just pray it off, mm-hmm. you know, or you ain't the first one to go through something, you know, or just shake it off or be tougher or you need to get some thick skin or whatever, you know, people will tell you, um, you know, to, to actually, I guess, increase the stigma associated with mental illness. So um, I agree. It's a... Definitely something that we need to be talking about more. Definitely something that needs awareness. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with everything that you both have said. Um, I think kind of what helps kind of the stigma to be perpetuated and to continue, a lot of times people will attach when you talk about mental health, like they immediately think of like the illness portion. So they immediately think of like the diagnoses associated with it. But I think a lot of people forget that sometimes just even being stressed or feeling overwhelmed or things like this, these are also things that you can um, kind of seek counseling and get like therapy to kind of help you through those issues. Like it's not just only 
like when you talk about bipolar or schizophrenia, it's not just that. It's also just anything that can affect you either emotionally or psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of talking about what I had just brought up about how kind of society and like the things that we portray, what do you guys think about ways that we could possibly help, I don't know, kind of end the stigma or kind of help get some positive imagery going with mental health and like seeking help and things like that? I have two um, the two things immediately popped to my mind. Um, the first is starting when we're young. Um, you know, so so very often, uh, parents, I feel like, shield children from a lot of the realities of life. Now, I do think that we have to have some balance because I do think there's something to be said about the innocence of children. And so, of course, to expose them to too much too soon could be detrimental. However, I mean, simple things like crying in front of your children. Sometimes, like the the stress you were talking about, Tiffany, sometimes stress, you can be cleansed of that just by allowing yourself to cry. Crying is cleansing. And I think sometimes we shield our children from that because we don't want them to be afraid or we don't want them to know that um, we may see it as a sign of weakness. And that goes for both women and men. You know, we, we perceive it to be like, oh, we don't want our children to know that we're, we're at a breaking point or whatever. And I think that just allowing them to know, like, I'm having a bad day. You know, mm-hmm. like, I'm stressed out. I'm I'm at my max. Mommy needs to take a break. I need to take a time out. Like, you know, those types of things so that children become, then they start to develop healthy habits and they start to think about that and say, dang, well, maybe I'm full too. Maybe I need to take a a break and it's okay to go sit in the chair and not want to be bothering it, you know? And so then we start to develop healthy habits um, in terms of cleansing ourselves just from the daily stress of life, um, you know, and and not allowing things to build up. Um, Also, (laughs) the healthcare system completely fails mental, you know, that it's almost as though um, it, it perpetuates the idea that it's not a part of the body system because they, I mean, the coverage for it is terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, I mean, they've pretty much gotten rid of, you know, inpatient facilities. There are very few outpatient facilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have pretty much left mental, you know, mental illness. It's like a deserted feel like a deserted thing you know there's there's not very much help or support for people who um you know fight and battle and even people who are succeeding at at fighting you know with mental illness there's just not a lot for them and so if you're not well to do and you can't afford to pay money to go and see a psychiatrist who might not take medicaid or whatever do you know what i'm saying like it's just it leaves again we go back to the point of the most vulnerable populations mm-hmm. and the whole insurance thing. And so, you know, if we could, if we could change that, if we could include um, more help and more support, more coverage, better coverage for people who uh, may need those services, I think we will do a world of good to change because that will help to change the lens in which we view it too. Um, you know, more people will seek help if they can afford it. And so if we're doing those two things, if we're, you know, teaching children from a a very young age and helping them to develop good, you know, good 
lifestyle choices and helping them to develop good coping mechanisms. And then once they become adults, if we have good coverage and good, you know, health um, care solutions and support for them, I think that would do a world of good. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts, Tasha? Oh, certainly. <laughs> this is me we're talking about. <laughs> um, come on, come on. Right. Okay, so. Come on. on. Make that change. See, this just goes right into what we're talking about. But um, the first thing, just like Ryan said, you have to talk about it. Um, you have to be open enough to um, express yourself and explain your story to people who are around you without fear of judgment. And I, I think that so many times we want to hold on to pride or um, we don't want to be vulnerable. We're afraid to be vulnerable in front of other people because of fear of what they will think. We, we suffer in silence. And I think so many times if we were to actually share our stories and talk about it more, you'll find that there are so many more people who are just dying to hear what you said to know that they are not alone, that they're not the only ones experiencing what you are experiencing too. And so that's one thing. The second thing that I was thinking is that you have to decriminalize it within our culture and our society. Mental health, especially among black and brown people, is criminalized. And as opposed to people getting the help and support that they need, a lot of our boys, men, women, children go to jail um, and they have true mental issues that have been um, started from either their upbringing or their environment and just ways, again, that there's this inequity within our society that they've been doomed from the start. And so, I mean, no one wants to be institutionalized and that's either in jail or like you know we've all talked about like the nut house or whatever you don't want to be in a straight jacket or a padded room and just all of these terrible things associated with um mental illness is it has to go away and i think that within our society we treat people who are mentally ill um, criminally, and that's just not always so. And so a lot of people are a lot less apt to speak up about what their experience may be or what they have going on inside their heads from fear that, you know, they're going to be thrown in jail or locked away or taken away from their families and not actually receive the support, love, and care that they need to get through whatever the situation is at the time. I think that's very true. Did you have something to add, Tiffany? Um, I was going to say just kind of how both of you brought up that there's kind of a, um, I guess there's not really the best way that we're handling like as a society or healthcare. Um, but I'm curious to see, this is just a thought that I have. Do you guys think kind of the spike in substance abuse with the, um, prescription medications, the drugs the things like that, do you guys think that has to do with, um, mental illness kind of going untreated? Or do you think it's just more of a um, kind of like the trend of things? I kind of think it has a little bit to do with both. Um, I think uh, it has sometimes with the different types of medication, I think depending on what a person's trying to cope with, I think sometimes it could be um, related to like mental health issues that need to be resolved. But curious to see what you guys think about that. Um, I think, and this is just my true, unfiltered 
uh, opinion, and I've thought this for some time now. I feel like the only reason that we're seeing the national attention to the prescription drug problem that we're seeing is because it's a white suburban problem or it's becoming a white suburban problem. If you look back into the early 80s, um, 90s-ish when crack cocaine and all of that stuff was on the streets, which is also a drug problem, it was criminalized. It was not seen as an illness. And mm-hmm. now, you know, this whole prescription drug thing is being treated as if you know, this person is ill, they need help. Meanwhile, our brothers, fathers, (laughs) you know, they're locked up and they're serving time because of this mental health thing or or not not treating the source or the cause as to why people turn to crack cocaine or whatever their drug of choice was at the time, you know, and now I think there's a lot more empathy around it because the problem doesn't look like us. And that's just, you know, like I said, this is my unfiltered opinion about that. Mm-hmm. Not interesting. <laughs> um, just because sometimes I think, not just namely just the prescription medications, but anytime when you have kind of drug abuse of any form, I feel like sometimes it can be a coping um, a coping tactic. So I was just curious. Now, this is something that I recently saw in the news. I, you guys probably saw this too. Um, with kind of how Ryan was saying, there's the rise of um, these kind of psychiatric problems where people are either being hospitalized or putting in jail. Um, how the two, I think there was two nurses that were um, held hostage. Yes, I um, by, I think this particular patient was an inmate, but yep. still it has to do kind of with what we're talking about. Um, Do you guys think that there is enough safety um, guidelines or enough security within the current hospital settings to handle these types of patients? No, I don't. I don't think it's even a safety or security issue so much as it is an education issue because, like, Tiff, you had said this a couple shifts ago, like, listen, you are one person, you are not as strong as you think you are. Don't take a L, right. <laughs> you know. And um, as a healthcare worker, especially in mental health, where you find that a lot of these people, especially if they are out of their mind on drugs or whatever, they have this superhuman strength, you know. And yeah. people are not equipped to handle these people by themselves. But a lot of times, people think that they they can. They think because they are mentally ill, like, they are not as dangerous. But they're more so because a lot of times they're able-bodied. And so they don't have the stops that a normal person would have because they have a chemical imbalance or whatever in their minds. And so they're coming at you to try and kill you. And so I think nurses and healthcare workers have to um, exercise wisdom in those cases and not put themselves in harm's way. Now, we can then talk about the nursing shortage because, of course, if, you know what I'm saying? Of course, safe ratio. Right. Of course, if you don't have the staffing, that is a problem. Um, but in lieu of not having the staffing and knowing that that's not a problem that's going to be fixed overnight, the person at the bedside have to be mindful of their own care and protect themselves in situations where they know they don't have the support training and and back up 
to keep a situation at bay or keep themselves from getting hurt. Ryan, what you think? Um, I, I agree with you. Like, I remember, you know, when you first get hired, you take that little self-defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Little training, you know, two, mm-hmm. three hour, four hour, maybe training mm-hmm. that you take to, like, defend, I'm doing air quotes here, defend yourself <laughs> in mm-hmm. the event that something Do happens. Do a takedown. Today, I mean, you know, and they, they say to me, unrealistic advice, like, oh, don't walk on the side of the bed that's furthest from the door. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. but the IV might be on that side. Like, what you mean? Like, how does this work? So as a nurse, you're in and out of a patient's room several times a day by yourself. And, you know, if we think about the fact that much um, mental illness goes undiagnosed because mm-hmm. of whether it be because they're self-medicating, like you kind of mentioned, Tiffany, or because they haven't sought the the help that they need, the medical attention that they need. Um, I mean, you never know what you're going to walk into. You don't know if you're going to walk into the room. You can walk into the room one, t- one second to give meds and they can be perfectly fine. And the next minute they have a psychotic break. You didn't know. You just, the IV pump was beeping. Like, you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I, I kind of agree that, um, you know, we talk about education. I'm not exactly sure what type of education needs to happen on the side of the staff to be able to support um, nurses or your staff, um, you know, to help to support the patient. Because at the end of the day, if a patient is having a psychotic break and a patient is trying to, like you said, Tasha, come at you, trying to kill you, um, they need support in that moment. I mean, you need you, you need to live. You need support, too, but they do, too. And so, um, of course, survival of the fittest is always going to say it's me or you. But as a, as a health care provider, we need to have a, a slightly different frame of mind to understand that this, this person, this is not this person. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. this is not the person in their right frame of mind. And so we talk about education. I don't know what that looks like. I mean, I am not a mental health specialist. I don't know what that would look like. You know, when I think about those two nurses that were held hostage, I mean, of course, as a nurse, you can't help but to think, gosh, like, what if something like that happened? Or like the the one patient who got stabbed, I mean, the nurse who got stabbed or whatever by a patient, like, mm-hmm. you can't help but to wonder, like, shit, what if that happened? But I don't, I wouldn't know how to support a, a mentally ill patient. Like, I know how to support somebody who's unconscious or maybe has a little bipolar, but it's controlled, it's managed. I have, I mean, I'm not a psychiatric, you know, specialist. I think even a lot of psychiatric nurses. And now if we want to talk about ratios, they have the worst oh, yeah. ratios. Like, I have a friend who's a psychiatric nurse she will sometimes maybe have 17 patients. Now, granted, she might have texts and stuff like that, but as a nurse, she's the only nurse responsible for all those patients. So how do you manage that? How do you not get burned out Mm -hmm. and want to leave psych? That could be your passion. But if you don't have the support that you need or the education or whatever, ratios, more staffing, I mean, we could go on and on about what kind of support, you know, in terms of physical support. But in terms of education and training, like, I don't know what that looks like. Because mental illness can sometimes be very unpredictable, even in a patient that you may perceive to be well-controlled, well-managed. I'm not, I don't know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think that mental health always presents as um, 
an official diagnosis or even something that may be undiagnosed. I had a patient once when I was a tech who, it was an older man, and he had, um, I don't know if it was like some sort of dementia that had come on, or he was having some medication or whatever that had him really um, disoriented. And he hit me, and Oof. and his family was there, and we were all just stunned. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, he wasn't trying to hurt me, um, and his family were just, tripping over themselves apologetic because they didn't even know who this man was. You know, they're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. You know, I moved, but he swatted me like on my arm. And, you know, they were just so thrown off. And so in moments like that, it's just mental health is really unpredictable and mm -hmm. should be at the top of the assessment tool um, if a person is stable. And I think just recently have we even seen it being added to an assessment tool and still many times the doctors will walk in the room and see the patients and not even be like, how are you? You know, how, how are you? Yeah. yeah. How, how are you feeling today? Mm -hmm. Outside of what brought you in right. today. Right. Yeah. Completely agree. Right. And mental health, um, we, we're learning more, um, stress, is at the top of a lot of the physical ailments that we have. And so if they just address, you know, what's stressing a person out, a lot of times they can remedy the high blood pressure or crazy blood sugars or poor diet and, you know, all of these things. But see, that goes back to effective probing because a patient presents with heart palpitations <laughs> and you have to probe and ask and figure out what is going on because a lot of patients don't even realize they haven't related it back to stress. Mm -hmm. You know, they just know I've got, I all of a sudden I'm having chest pain or all of a sudden I'm having, like you said, high blood sugars. They just came out of nowhere. And so, um, you know, you're right. If But that goes back to effective probing to educate the patient. Like, oh, this is probably stress-induced or, you know. But if they never ask the question, then <laughs> right. they'll never get that information. So, definitely true. Um, so we kind of talked about kind of both like the the healthcare aspect, kind of how nurses some, and sometimes other healthcare staff kind of get pulled into like acute situations where things are going wrong. And then we also kind of talked about some um, kind of ways that people cope when they're not, you know, able to kind of correctly manage. What do you guys um, think are some ways that we can kind of help ourselves and to help others kind of recognize kind of signs and symptoms of like when someone is having kind of some difficulty or if you're noticing kind of within yourself, um, kind of some things are starting to change. What, what kind of things should we do at that point to help other people or to help ourselves sometimes even? Um, I will speak to the perinatal period um, just because that's what I am most familiar with. Um, and so we, we, you know, very commonly speak about postpartum depression, um, you know, and a lot of times people um, confuse postpartum psychosis, which is when, you know, people drown their kids or like Andrea Yates, you know, drowned all of her kids in the tub or people run their kids off the road or whatever, that is different than postpartum depression. Um, postpartum psychosis is what causes, you know, mothers to, um, to kill their children. And so I would like to also say that 
depression can actually happen prenatally as well. And so we don't, you know, you, a mom can have prenatal. She can have anxiety or depression as a pregnant woman. And, um, of course, the signs and the symptoms are exactly the same, whether they're in the prenatal period or the postpartum period after she's had the baby is when it happens most commonly. But there's a lot of research that shows a high number of women who have postpartum depression were also depressed or had anxiety in pregnancy that was undiagnosed. So they just went kind of under the radar. Um, so, of course, you know, the signs and symptoms of depression look the same. This just happens to happen, you know, after a woman has had a baby because of the shift in her hormones. So we have to have certain hormones to help us to maintain a pregnancy. And immediately after we deliver a baby, those hormones crash to the ground. Like, whew, we don't need those anymore. We have the baby. And so that it causes a great shift in, a, in, in our body as a mother. And so that those hormones can bring on feelings of sadness. Um, and, of course, you know, it's not uncommon for women to have, like, baby blues and to kind of be sad for a couple days. That's not uncommon. Um, but sadness that persists or continues on for more than a week after you have a baby, we start to think about depression. Um, some research even says after three days postpartum, if you're still feeling kind of sad, um, then you might think about depression. So a woman who, like, can't shake the sadness, like, she's so sad. So if you as a dad or you as a um, mom, if you're in a same-sex relationship, or you as a parent, grandparent, whatever, family member, friend, you have your, she just had this baby, and she just can't seem to get excited about it, you know. Um, you see her moving and doing all the tasks, completing all the tasks, but she can't get excited about it. She's just sad. She can't shake it. The things that used to make her happy no longer make her happy. Um, she might be crying a lot, or she may have a loss of appetite, not really interested in eating a whole lot. Um, those are some signs that you can look for in your in your partner or your family member, friend, whatever, Um that you might want to say, hey, you you know, might want to talk to somebody or what's going on or how do you feel? Like you said, Tasha, we can ask those questions mm -hmm. to our friends and families too. Um, and anxiety looks a little bit different. Anxiety is tricky because a lot of times people who have postpartum or prenatal anxiety have a lot of the same symptoms of a person who has depression. But anxiety is going to give us like a racing heartbeat or um, a feeling like you can't you can't sit still or um, your heart might be response. pounding in your chest, you might be sweating, um, but you still might have those feelings of sadness and, and doom, like you just can't, you know, you still, you're not happy. And so sometimes people who are misdiagnosed, actually, they really have anxiety, um, but since they have some of those symptoms of depression, then they, um, they go diagnosed as depression. So just, you know, think about those things. Um, to answer your question, those are some really, those are, those are the most two common perinatal mood disorders, um, depression, and anxiety. And again, like I said, it's very important to watch your pregnant friends and family members too because lots of women have it when they're pregnant, which um, that's no fun. <laughs> and if, it, if we can treat it in pregnancy, the success rate of them not having it as severely postpartum is great. So um, did that, does that answer your question? Tasha, do you have anything to add to that? Mm -hmm. um, I think the way to kind of separate or know when you need help is defining normal in the first place. Um, I think a lot of people have uh, feelings, thoughts, emotions, stressors, and things like that that fall in the normal range. 
you know, and instead of them talking about those things and kind of handling it, it tends to fester a bit and it grows and turns into something else. Um, and, and normal can be totally different for each and every person, but, you know, you have to figure out like, what is the normal pattern for you? Or, you know, are you normally just flat affect, meaning no emotion or whatever? Like, what are the changes for you? Are you normally way, way up? Because that also is a sign of, you know, some mental imbalance or instability there. You know, what changes are you observing in your life, your caregiver, your partner, your loved one, whoever? Um, so I think that's one good way to decide if you need help or if you need support, you got to figure out where your starting point is and kind of qualify it based on the type of personality you're dealing with in the first place. What do you think, too? Um, I, I think that it is a combination too of just kind of knowing, knowing kind of your baseline, kind of like what you were saying, just what, what is normal for you. Um, but sometimes even with that, if it's something that you've struggled with for a long time, that may be, you know, your normal, but, um, it's not a normal for other people. And so I think kind of like what Ryan was saying, I think as healthcare workers, we need to do a better job of probing and just, you know, checking on people to see how they're feeling. And also with just like our friends and people that we interact on a daily basis, a lot of times, you know, you say, hey, how are you doing? And someone says, fine, you, you're like, okay. And then mm-hmm. everybody just, you know, mm-hmm. nobody addresses like what was said back to them or what they say. It's just kind of like a, it's a habit. You just mm-hmm. like, bless you. Half the people like, going down the hall. How you doing? And they gone. They ain't even heard you say not good. <laughs> you know? Like, it's just, you just say it without even interpreting what someone has said back at all. Um, and which I know, it's, a lot of times you don't have time to get into, like, a full assessment with someone. Like, how are you really feeling? Like, what do you share with me, like, as you pass someone in the hall? But just to be you like, know, I would say, I have, I have challenged myself um to when people ask me how I'm doing to give a more honest answer than I'm okay you know like to say something that you feel in this moment I'm hot or (laughs) um I'm actually tired as hell or you know something that could be a little bit more truthful because um it, it frees it frees me for one from, you know, being close and just saying, oh, just okay, or I'm good, or whatever we say. Um, but then also, it does help to grab the attention of somebody mm-hmm. else who just asked you, because we're so used to people just saying, okay, then we say, okay, and we just move on. But if somebody says, like my boo always says when people say, how you doing? He always says, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and he does it just jokingly, like he'll do it to like, the teller at the bank or like the server at the restaurant people be like oh my gosh what's wrong like just like it it just shakes everything up and so he does it jokingly um but actually him doing that is what challenged me to um to just be more transparent with my answer because um just me being able to share that little bit about how I'm feeling um again it frees me and it kind of helps me to to clear my thoughts so just to piggyback off what you were saying, you're right. So I challenge you guys to do it too. Say something that's real about how you feel. Be honest. Be honest. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of it too. People do have to be honest about where they are. Um, and I 
something that came to mind when you were saying that, Tiff. I think so many times we, or I have thought this in the past, like if you actually say what's going on in the moment, you're inviting more sadness, you know, or people think if I speak this, then it's going to come to pass, you know, some kind of self-fulfilling prophecy or whatever. Um, but I don't think that being honest in the moment about what it is you're, you may be feeling or what you are feeling is inviting anything more than what's already there. You know, it might just actually be opening that thing up and allowing you to be free, like Ryan said. Yeah, and then, I mean, you have to be careful what you say to who, too, because, you know, some people can try to throw it back on you and be like, dang, you're so negative. Like, every time I ask her, how she do <laughs> And so you don't have to always say something bad. You might actually be having a really great day, and then you can share that, too, you know. Um, but, yeah, you're, some of your stuff, you got to know who your people are. Mm-hmm. You got to have friends for different reasons. Some of your friends, you can't tell them all yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. for someone else the ed is always a great place to go for starters especially if you um have a lack of trust for the authorities or police um which has been a huge issue too a lot of times people will call the police and then someone goes to jail or whatever because they're being seen as combative as opposed to having a psychotic break where they need um, medical attention and not to be arrested so you can always go to the emergency department for help Um, Your primary care physician, please, if you have one, get one, can assess those things too and then direct you in a a place or to someone who can help you sort some things out. Um, Also, for people who like to maybe go a more holistic route, I always suggest that you talk to somebody that you trust. And I think that, and I've said this many a times, I'm a huge fan of therapy or counseling If you have a counselor, a good counselor that you can talk to, um, it serves you like light years if that is, you know, your way of getting things out, talking things out, whatever. I think that a lot of times a therapist is someone who can be gifted in that area, much like I'm gifted in nursing and they have the ability to um, provide a different perspective for you about whatever it is you may be experiencing Um, But if you don't want to go to a therapist, find someone who you trust, you know, your best friend, your family member who you can confide in, who you know is going to um, honor whatever conversation that you have and keep that in confidence to where if you have a a complete meltdown, they're not going to be looking at you any differently. And at the same time, you've been able to kind of take the pressure off, release some of that energy that you've had 
Um, but there's lots of tools that people can use that's not sophisticated, that you don't need a degree to do. Deep breathing um, is huge. Take some big, deep breaths. A lot of times, if you read articles, they'll tell you if you are angry or you're having like maybe road rage or something like that, stop. Stop doing what you're doing and take 10 deep breaths. You know, and by the end of that, see if you are feeling better or if you're in a better headspace. Um, and so a lot of times I'll use deep breathing a lot, not just for myself, but for my patients. I do, you know, because I do, I am a person who has dealt with anxiety a lot. And so um, anxiety is basically defined as feeling that fight or flight response and there is no impending doom or danger present that you can actually see. So taking deep breaths, um, and me, I, I would have anxiety about what's to come, so the future and things like that, you know, things that I wanted most, I, I would have anxiety that those things would never, ever come to pass. And so though, that is irrational thought, you know, to just kind of stew there. So I would use deep breathing and meditation a lot to um, pull myself back to the here and now and get into a better headspace so that I can be more effective um, and just be more well for, for myself and for everybody around me. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I agree. Um, especially with the, um, talking to somebody and I'll piggyback. I'm going to piggyback off of every single thing that you said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to piggyback off of, um, talking to somebody that you can trust. And I'm just going to challenge everybody to just be trustworthy. Um, because everybody needs to have somebody that they can trust to talk to. And so just like you need that, you should be that. You should be the person that you need. And so I just challenge us all to be trustworthy. Be a person that somebody can come to and talk to and share intimate thoughts with. And do it without judgment um, or without accusation, without shaming that person. Just be a trustworthy person. Um, and that way, everybody will have somebody that they can talk to if everybody is challenging themselves to be trustworthy. Um, I'll also piggyback on um, not necessarily calling 911 if you feel like you're in a crisis. Now, I mean, obviously, there will be times that that may be the only choice, but you're right. They're obligated. If somebody is um, attempting suicide, they are obligated to hold you. And if there is no short-term inpatient facility in your local area that means they would have to hold you in prison which doesn't it's not helpful <laughs> for anybody um, I will say look into your resources because every place has different resources and so we talked a couple of shifts ago I think Tiffany you brought this up that we have places you can walk into um, to get support and it's the same holds true for this. I mean, there are places that you can walk into to talk to somebody if you feel like you're having a crisis. Of course, there's the one several 1-800 numbers if you're feeling like you're going to hurt yourself. Um, and I know that in our local area, we have some, some short-term inpatient facilities that somebody can go and talk to somebody, maybe get some medication if that's what you need, relaxation. They have meditation, all that types of different things. Um, and then some people like to talk to people, you know, who are – um, leaders in their faith, in their faith community. Some people find um, that that may be helpful for them. Um, also, um, what was, I'm trying to think, there was another point I was going to make. Oh, I think I lost it. So, <laughs> I, oh, oh no, you talked about um, 
getting support. And so I'm going to go back to the prenatal um, or perinatal period and talk about um, when you're in. So if you are having, you know, perinatal anxiety or perinatal depression, um, sometimes people need to be separated from their baby. Um, sometimes people don't need to be separated from their baby. Sometimes having that baby is the only thing holding them together <laughs> is living for that baby. Um, and I'll just share a little bit that I am a survivor of postpartum depression. And um, I can vividly remember um, when I first realized that that's what I was dealing with. I was very teary. I was very um, stressed out. I just felt like I just wasn't making it. I felt sleep deprived, all this stuff. Um, and it wasn't until I actually saw myself like in an open dream like walking completely away from my life. I never thought about harming myself or like harming my children, but I saw myself walking away and leaving it all and not giving a damn. And I said, that's not normal. <laughs> that's not normal. And so I actually saw support for my OBGYN. And so the OBGYN or your midwife or um, your nurse practitioner is also a really good resource. They have um, as a part of their schooling, they actually get trained. Um, many of them have certifications in perinatal mood disorders so that they can support people during that period. Um, if you, They can offer you many suggestions. If you're a person who wants to take medication, they're able to prescribe that medication for you. Um, you don't necessarily need to go to a psychiatrist for postpartum depression. So I want to let everybody know, like, you don't have to go there. Your OBGYN can give you medications. If you're a person who chooses not to go that route. I was one of those people because I was a breastfeeding mother and I just um, wasn't 100% sure that I wanted to um, pass those medications to my children, even though they were safe. Um, that's what the leaflet said they were safe. I just didn't trust it. Um, and so I did things like change my diet and I started working out two or three times a week um, to release those endorphins. And that actually really helped. And just letting my family know so your biggest resource is like right at your fingertips. Your biggest resource is under your same roof sometimes. People don't know, especially in America, we're one of the only cultures where after you have a baby, your auntie and your grandma and your mother-in-law and your mom or whoever, um, what maternal support, they don't come and stay in the house with you. Almost every other culture, somebody is coming to your house to take care of your house and your other, ch your other children while you rest and heal and take care of your baby. And so we're one of the only cultures that don't do that. And so we expect women to um, leave the hospital and pop, you know, snap it on back and take care of everything like you never had a child. And so um, like your body, your flesh didn't tear open <laughs> to have a baby. And so it did, and you need that time to heal. And so if you know you need help, I always say when I teach my classes, this is the best advice I can give anybody, um, is that to ask for help. Because sometimes the being overwhelmed is what causes the depression. And so if you're overwhelmed and you feel like you can't keep up, CPS is not going to swoop down and take your children because you asked for help. As a mother, you can ask for help. That actually, there's strength in asking for help. People think it makes them seem weak or like they can't handle it. No, no. There is strength in asking for help. That shows that you're self-aware. You knew what you needed and you were able to ask for that. So ask for help. Ask your mom to come over and fold your laundry. You know, when people are coming to visit you anyway after you have a baby, 
listen, they're going to say, hey, do you want me to do anything while I'm here? Yes, I do. I want you to sweep the floor. I want you to put these wet clothes in the dryer. I want you to bring a meal when you come. Can you bring a pan of lasagna or bring some something that's going to last a couple days? So ask for help. Your family and friends, after you have a baby, will do anything for you because they just want to come and see your baby. And so <laughs> use that time to ask for help. Your biggest resource is right at your fingertips. And so don't forget about them. They want to help you, but sometimes people don't know what to do. People don't know what you need them to do. And so they stand back and watch you make it look easy, and you're struggling. And so ask for help. That is from my mouth to God's ear because that's my prayer every day, that I continue to learn to ask for help. So I'm the kettle calling the pot black, but learning and growing. giving, my, Like you said, Tiffany, starting over every day. Starting over every day. <laughs> Um, so I definitely feel kind of like this whole shift has been like a giant nursing note, but if you guys have anything that you want to add for your nursing note, uh, I guess I'll start that segment here. Um, the only thing I feel like we haven't really touched on too terribly much, um, this one's just kind of near and dear to my heart is kind of like, uh, PTSD within nurses. Um, and I feel like this can happen, like, with with anything, uh, with any type of situation. A lot of times we don't get the time to kind of process, and other healthcare staff, too. We don't get the kind of time to process kind of traumatic situations that we deal with. Um, and a lot of times that kind of weighs heavy on you, and then you get, um, you deal with another situation right after that. So kind of for myself, a lot of times what I've found helpful is to be able to talk about it or to write about it. Um, and that way you can kind of get some of those feelings out. Um, and then sometimes it does grant a little bit. You need kind of some more intervention if you've had kind of several of those um, kind of situations over and over again. And it's the same with kind of whatever you're dealing with in life when you kind of get to that Kind of how you guys are talking about when you've reached kind of the point where you're not able to handle the things anymore on your own or with whatever you're using to kind of cope is kind of that's kind of my thing of kind of when when to seek help and like we've been saying there's tons of resources online uh, on the internet um, within your primary care office within your hospital just locally within the city that you're in to kind of help because the big thing to realize like you guys were saying is you're not the first person for whatever you're dealing with. You're never the first person that's gone through it. There's always somebody else that's dealt with it before and mm -hmm. they made it through. Mm -hmm. So there's always, there's always somebody that you can talk to or always somebody that's made it through whatever you're going through. So to just kind of be mindful of that. Uh, do you guys have any other tidbits to add before we get to the language lack? I will just add to go with what you were saying, Tiffany, about you're not the only person to go through this or have gone through it. You're also not the only person to currently be going through it. And while I think it's good to sometimes talk to somebody who may be going currently going through what you're going through, I caution us because sometimes, I mean, misery certainly loves company. And even though we may have a friend who may also be going through what we're going through, um, and they may not intentionally bring us down, but sometimes we have what we call, there are called triggers, and there's certain things that when somebody brings up, 
can cause a deeper or deepening sadness within us. Um, and so you guys might be holding each other down. So I suggest um, support groups for that, where there can be a facilitated conversation um, to kind of keep things from getting too terribly sad, because that's the last thing I'm sure your friend would want or a person that you find online or whatever, if they're going through what you're going through, certainly the goal would be to help one another. <laughs> so <laughs> just a little bit of caution, use a little bit of caution when you um, have found somebody, a person who may be going through what you're going through when you decide to talk to them. Um, somebody who's gone through it and has successfully, you know, overcome, that's a good person to talk to. But even still, I caution, you know, the person who overcame to be careful because of those triggers. Because sometimes it's very easy to slip right back into a place of sadness due to something that may trigger you or trigger those feelings or thoughts or emotions, what you were feeling at that time. So just a little bit of caution there. Mm-hmm. Um, like Tiff said, I feel like this entire uh, shift has been a huge nurse's note where we didn't really talk about different types of mental illness. Um, we talked mostly about mental health, which was probably our intention in the first place. Um, but for me, I've been speaking from a, a personal experience sort of perspective and not so much a nursing perspective because mental health has been a huge, um, struggle for me and a huge, uh, goal of me to maintain proper mental health and self-care. And so like Ryan said, ask for help. That was one of my nurse's notes. No one will be able to read your mind ever in life, okay? And closed mouths don't get fed. So if you're having trouble, you got to speak on it. You got to open up your mouth and say something. Um, second thing is I believe that people hold on to a lot of their um, personal tr troubles and things like that as a sign of strength. But there's no strength in suffering by yourself. Um, a lot of times when you open up and share your story and you're able to become vulnerable, that is the key to your healing. And so don't hold on to those things that you feel may have some shame um, attached to it. There's no shame in navigating real life. This shit is hard. And it's hard for most people. And everybody has their own... Um, set of circumstances that has caused them to be in a place that is sad at times and happy at others or whatever. So that's one thing. And then um, don't be afraid to set boundaries um, for yourself and for others and to protect yourself. So those boundaries kind of create a shell and it keeps you from um, going above and beyond or over and overextending yourself to a point of lack in your own life or to a point where you actually need the help and you supposedly were trying to help somebody else. So do set boundaries. And then my final, final nurse's note is, and I, when I was taking notes about doing this shift, I actually got a little bit emotional, but I'm at a place in my life where things are um, manifesting that I never thought would happen. And so know that seasons change. You know, it won't always be terrible. It won't always be great either. Um, it's important for you to understand what's happening in the moment and tease that out and deal with that as it comes or as it's happening and try not to snowball, but know that it won't always be the way it is right now. And so that's it. That's, that's my nursing note and I'm done. Good. That's a good nursing note.
we got our language lack. And then, of course, um, we'll talk about our shift for next week. So now we have the language lack. Tiffany's favorite part of the show. Share what our lack is this week. Um, so this was something that kind of got under my skin, but people always call postpartum depression postpartum. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, yeah, that's wrong. That that's that is wrong. wrong. Yes. Tell us why that's wrong, Ryan, please. Because postpartum, okay, is a period, a time <laughs> period after a woman has a baby. So it's a everybody has postpartum after they have a baby because they're in the postpartum period. Right. So you, if you're going to refer to postpartum depression, it's very very important that you tack on the <laughs> depression part because that just clarifies it. Yeah, that just lets us know what actually is happening. Yeah. Not what has Don't happened say, before, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say I got postpartum. My friend, girl, she got postpartum. Now I got postpartum. Mm-hmm. But yeah, girl, of course you do. You're going to have postpartum for another. <laughs> right. You're like, congratulations. Right. <laughs> no. L- listen, you that's wrong. Postpartum depression. Yeah. yeah don't, don't do that anymore. Yeah. So let's, let's stop that. And now it's time for... Boom. She was being P. Diddy this time. She's, Damn. Boom. Damn. Boom. <laughs> Bam. I was Millie rocking too. Oh my. Okay. Is that Show even still phone. popular? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, ain't, I don't know what these kids do in these days. I have to stay current. I'm a mother. I have to stay current. Okay. Don't hate on me. Meanwhile, your children are in the corner like, please stop. next episode what we talking about oh we are talking about addiction Mm. so So our next topic will be addiction uh again before we get out of here want to remind you if you got questions comments just want to say hey (laughs) concerns email at getsedated705 at gmail.com of course uh, if you haven't heard our podcast before this episode, go back and catch up. We are on SoundCloud. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher and Podcast Attic under Conscious Sedation Podcast. And then follow us, like us, love us, comment, tell us Rate, something. subscribe, all Rate of that. Rate and subscribe. Uh, again, on Instagram, Conscious underscore Sedation. Facebook and Twitter, Get Sedated 705. Hey, how y'all, hey. yeah, let us know how y'all feel about our satellite Ooh. recording, too. This first one down, we just trying to flex in our doggone uh, technology. <laughs> Is that what we're doing? 
And we trying. We just, we being flexible, yeah. All right, y'all. Good show. Good show. Good show. All right. And I'm out. (laughs)